We are in the Epiphany season. You all know that, right? Epiphany was started on January 6th, which is the day of the Epiphany of our Lord. And that's the day when the church looks at Jesus and the fact that he goes to John and is baptized. Uh, after that happens, there is a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And it's almost as if God is saying, you listen to many things that are not right. Listen to him, the son of God. He will tell you what it is that you really, really need to know. And the point of that is that our Lord Jesus Christ comes into simple things and complex things and does what only he can do, make it better. This Sunday we hear an epiphany about fish, about Isaiah, just wonderful things. I think it was April 14th, I'm, I think that's the right day, 1945. Now those of you who were in the world on that day, 1945, April 14, just raise your hand. There are a few of us left. I was eight years old, and I was walking down the street in Muncie, Indiana, where my parents and I lived at that time, and my dad had sent me to Frank's store down the street, one of these little neighborhood grocery stores that don't exist anymore, just behind your house. And I had a note in my hand from my father, and the note said, Mr. Frank, please sell Tommy two packs of Marvel cigarettes. <laughs> I was, of course, too young to buy cigarettes, but my dad smoked, and back then he smoked Marvels. Any of you remember Marvel cigarettes? Yeah, there's a, hand, a nodding head over there. Did you like them? Uh, I didn't either. I tried one once, and that was it. I told my dad he ought to change cigarettes, and he looked at me and said, how would you know? But at any rate... I was walking down that street with this note in my hand, minding my own business, and from the opposite direction, here comes Mrs. Irving, I-R-V-I-N-G, Mrs. Irving. She was a neighbor, and she looked at me, and she looked so grave and so burdened, and I was just a kid, and I didn't know what was going on. She said, Tommy, did you hear that President Roosevelt died? And I looked at her. I knew who President Roosevelt was. I said, no, I didn't know. She died. What are we going to do? Well, I got my cigarettes and went home, and I told my mom and dad, did you know that President Roosevelt died? And they said, he did not. I said, yes, he did. Mrs. Irving told me. So my dad and mom went over to the little Philco radio, turned it on, and here was the static coming, and then the voice, which indeed told the world, Muncie, Indiana, that President Roosevelt died. I remember a little bit about the funeral, and I remember days before and after, there was solemn, beautiful music played on the radio. That was all. That's happened in my lifetime again, not so long ago on 9-11. But at any rate, it was a day when the whole world just stopped and said, no, what do we do? We were in war at that time. Terrible. And the news was just not good at all. Now what's going to happen to our world? I think it was similar when Isaiah the prophet, in the year the scripture said, did you catch it? In the year King Uzziah died. That's how it started. 
So you can imagine that the people who read that knew exactly who King Uzziah is. And we know exactly almost who he is too. He died in 740 B.C. And he was a great king of Israel. He ruled Israel through his son because he himself had leprosy because of something terrible that he had done earlier in his life. And he was confined to a place by himself as it was in those days. But at any rate, he was a good man. He did Israel, the northern part of the people of God. He did them, them good things. He was a builder. He built roads and everybody loved King Uzziah. And now he died. What are we going to do? Because the Assyrians up in the north are threatening us. Those of you that know a little bit about Old Testament history will know that it was only about 20, 25 years later that the Assyrians came in and took off the 10 tribes of Israel, took them as captives and destroyed that part of the nation of the Jews. So there were times coming and the people were apprehensive now that their leader had died. And it's kind of interesting to me that that's all it says about King Uzziah in the book of Isaiah. But it moves forward and then tells us about the things that happened in the life of Isaiah the prophet. Chapter 6 of Isaiah is one of those chapters in the Bible that just leaps out at you and says, are you listening to this? Because Isaiah has a vision and he's in the great throne room of God. And there God is revealed to him as he who sits on the throne and he has a long robe and all of the things that you would imagine God would have. And there are cherubim in the room, six of them. And they're flying through the air with majesty, with their wings. And, and they're singing a song. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of Sabbath, of the armies. And Isaiah is stunned. Maybe he had been thinking about the death of King Uzziah too, and now he's taken into a different world where that seems to become rather insignificant in the face and in the light of God's tremendous glory. And I can only think that Isaiah probably said to himself, this is the last thing I'm ever going to see because no one survives the glory of God. But instead, great things happen. Strange things that have never happened before happen. And it takes place in the life of Isaiah, this prophet who is there in humility and awe. And there's a voice from heaven, God himself speaking, who's going to go out and tell the world? It's interesting, it doesn't tell us in the Old Testament lesson what it is that they're to tell the world. But who's going to go out for us? That's God speaking. And Isaiah, for whatever reason, says to himself, here I am, send me. I can't imagine that Isaiah knew what he was getting into. But he said the words. And then Isaiah understands that he's unclean and that he can't really say anything proper about God. 
And then the Lord God takes charge. And one of these mighty seraphim, such majestic language, goes to the altar of incense and with a tong takes one of the hot coals and comes to Isaiah and touches his lips. And he is cleansed. What did Isaiah do? He did nothing. He was just there. And God cleansed him. The cleansing action always comes from God. And mortal man just stands there and receives it. It's an act of grace of God. And we can do nothing but open our empty hands and say, Me too, Lord, cleanse me. And then you read the book of Isaiah. Oh, he was such an incredible master. His language is heavenly. And he speaks in the 53rd chapter of his long book about a wonder that will one day come into the world when people will see someone who has been beaten and mocked, spit upon, cut. And the folks of the world will look at this and say, this man is bearing his sin and God is punishing him. And Isaiah the prophet says, no. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. We thought he was being beaten and mocked and hurt by God. But it was for our sin that he took place. All of these things took place. And there, there is this incredible prophecy in the book of Isaiah, 700 B.C., about one who will one day come into the world to bring God's cleansing to all people by taking the sin of all humankind upon himself and giving his life for the sake of the world. And that's the story of the passion and suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ ensconced in the 53rd, 54th chapters of Isaiah who lived in 700 B.C. Go figure. How does this happen? It happens because God touched his lips and said, you're going to be my spokesperson. Well, then we go about 800 years into the future. We end up in Palestine at the Lake of Galilee in this section called Gennesaret, another name for it. What an incredible story is before us. It's as if we have walked into the throne room. There aren't any seraphim around. No grand angels singing holy, holy, holy. But we have something better in this story. Because here is the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, sitting in a boat, not a throne. And he says to Peter, who owns the boat, Peter, let's go fishing. There are some others along too. They're mentioned, James, John, some others. And then Peter says, oh, Lord, we just cleaned our nets. We've just put them away. And we fished all night. We got nothing. Jesus said, go. Nevertheless, if you want us to, we'll go fishing. I can't imagine what it was that Peter was thinking in his head. Here we go again. 
just cleaned up this mess and now we have to do it again, just because he says so. Why do I feel I have to do what he says? I don't know why I feel I have to do what he says, but I do. So Peter goes out, Jesus, with his great cosmic sense of humor, let's fish over there in the deep. And the disciples look at Jesus and say, what? In the deep? You don't fish it deep at night. Throw your nets over on the right side. Well, folks, these things do not just happen in a vacuum. There was a lot of preparation for this act that Jesus was going to perform. Because you see, Jesus had been talking to the fish. You think he can do that? In the Old Testament, we have the grand story of Noah, where God appointed a large fish. We used to call it a whale. We know better now. A large fish to go and swallow that prophet up. <laughs> you read between the lines, and that fish just was sick to death of Noah by the time he got him out of his belly. He vomited him off on the seashore. That's such a funny story. But nevertheless, this is the God of creation now who is saying, throw them over on the right side. And what he didn't say is this, because I've talked to mother fish. And I said, you get your children together and you're going to jump into the nets that I'm going to send down on the right side of the boat. And all of the fish understood God speaking to them because God speaks fish. And they were waiting. And the nets thrown in. And mother fish says, now. And the boats began to sink, the nets. What in the world is going on here? Our Lord Jesus Christ can touch the lives of Isaiah the prophet, and he can touch the lives of Mother Fish and all of her brood. And he can touch our lives too. As he says, as the miracle is taking place, and Peter and, and all the others are just amazed at what's going on around them, he says, you know, you're going to be fishing too for men, for people. I'm going to change your lives not unlike Isaiah the prophet who suddenly was cleansed to do the work of God in the olden days. Now Peter, James, John, and all the rest eventually will be touched also by the power of God. From now on, you're going to be fishing for men. And oh, did they fish. They had such terrible times and such wonderful times as through them the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ touched the hearts of men and women in those ancient days and so is passed down to us today. And we're here because of that. We're here because of what God did to Isaiah. We're here because of what God did to Peter, James, John, and all the rest and the generations that followed. We're here to receive also a word of encouragement from Jesus to take the gospel and give it away to someone else. Let people of this world know that we have a savior. We have someone who has burst through the universe and has come into our world to give all of the gifts of God to the people that God made. Sometimes we use the word evangelism, and that's okay. It means, it means good stuff. Evangelism means good news, and that's a wonderful thing. But when we talk about witnessing of our faith, and it seems to me that's the thrust of the Scriptures today, that God wants us to know that he's called us to be his witnesses, 
we sometimes shrink back and say, I can't do that. And yet you can. You know, I was thinking, the only reason those fish jumped into the net was because Jesus told them to jump into the net. Peter, James, and John didn't change. The fish changed. When Isaiah was touched by the hot coal, Isaiah really didn't change, but God gave him a new energy and a new ability to speak of him to all of the nations of the world. And so we sit here today enjoying the benefits of Isaiah's witness to us about the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life and died on, on the cross and rose again. It's kind of hard to witness, isn't it? I mean, some people think so. Every now and then someone comes along just a whiz at it. But I don't think it's a hard thing to do. It's not hard to express the love of Christ for another person as you love that person in the name of Christ. It's not hard to speak about Christ Jesus and his love for all people. When you give of yourself in love for the sake of another person in your life from day to day, and you comfort and you console, and you offer prayers of God's comfort and peace, because the person who receives that gift knows instinctively somehow there's something driving you to do something that ordinary people don't do. And that something is the voice of Christ in your heart who calls you to his service. Say, go catch some people. Go fishing. God bless you as you think about these things and apply them to your life. In Jesus' name, amen.